had gone into the school parking lot to pick up my kids from school and two members from the district attorney's office, investigator's office, came to my car windows and placed me under arrest in the parking lot of my children's school. I'm not sure there could have been a more devastating way for me to be arrested or where to be arrested. My sons, I had two boys, when my son's grandmother decided that I was no longer um, fit to be their mom at that time. So when I went to go pick them up from school one day, they weren't at school, they were gone. And actually at that time I thought they had gotten kidnapped or, you know, um, I didn't know what was going on. And what had happened was is they, she called CPS on me and told them that I was using drugs. and. Uh, I mean, it was a big mess. The cops even came out, they did a drug test, they found out that I wasn't high. But I mean, at that point, CPS still took my children away and that was uh, really, really hard for me. And so I ended up going back to drugs uh, shortly after that. I mean, it pretty much all went downhill from there. Once I lost my two boys, I just kind of gave up on life because my mom always told me you'll never amount to anything and there she was, she was right. So I am a single mom of 11-year-old twins. I have been single since they were born. When I graduated from high school, I became a community service officer for a local police department and then became a dispatcher for the same police department and worked there for most of my adult life. I was diagnosed in 2002. I had brain surgery at UCSF in December of 2002. In between my diagnosis in July and my surgery in December, I became pregnant with the twins. Nobody knew I was pregnant until I had the twins at 41 weeks at Sequoia <laughs> in Redwood City. Um, I, we didn't know I was pregnant with one baby or two babies. We didn't know I was pregnant at all. And post-surgically, I became addicted to the prescription pain medications. I grew up in a pretty broken home. Both my parents were addicts um, and alcoholics. Um, they separated when I was really young. And um, I didn't see my dad for a long, long time until I was about 13. But already at that point, I was already pretty much, I'm going to use the word corrupted, because I was already selling drugs for my mom at the age of 11. I was already running the streets. I dropped out of school in seventh grade. Um, I was taking care of my younger sister. My mom loved the party life. We, we had what, you, what she used to call an animal house. So my main goal as a teenager was to provide for my younger sister because my mom couldn't do that for us. But I ended up meeting a gentleman who was slightly older than me and um, took me into his home with his family. And so I ended up getting pregnant at 15. I had my first son um, by the time I turned 16 and um, had no idea what I was getting into. I just knew that I wanted the baby because I wanted something to love me um, the way that I wanted to love something or someone because I never had that growing up at all, ever. I was with a, an abusive uh, 
I was in an abusive relationship and he told me that I was going to keep it or he was going to kill me. So I ended up staying pregnant and keeping the baby and I cleaned up. I stopped using drugs. Then when I was about five months pregnant, he started hitting me really, really bad. And he would smoke his, he was a crystal meth head too. He would smoke it and blow it in my face. And this would be like on a nightly basis. And he would tell me that it wasn't his baby anyway. And um, that I was fat and used and abused and, you know, uh, wasn't worthy of being um, a mother, you know, so on and so forth. Well, I ended up having my son when I was six months pregnant because he had kicked me so hard on my stomach that I had a pin-sized hole in my water bag. Watching or being on a ride along with one of our officers and, and watching the process and the people that had addiction issues. And I remember even back then feeling extremely sorry for them because it just seemed like such an out of control lifestyle. People like me that came from, you know, good backgrounds, people that came from horrible backgrounds, it didn't seem to pick and choose. But I just remember feeling a lot of sadness for these people. Looking back then, you would see that they felt like they were, and it appeared on the outside, stuck. And I remember being sad about that. I blamed my medical diagnosis for everything. Poor me, I was in a very poor me state. I was diagnosed with cancer, I had brain cancer, then I had the twins, and it was this whole ongoing emergency in my life. And I blamed the cancer for what had happened to me. We would have mountains of coke on our kitchen table, and I just remember seeing my dad um, playing with it, and I remember asking him, like, what is that? And he would tell me it was ice cream, but then they would really have an ice cream machine, and we would really make ice cream. So it's like weird things like that um, that I didn't fully even understand what I was seeing at that time. I learned at a very young age that when people overdose on heroin, I learned how to sometimes shock them out of it. And then when you couldn't shock them out of it, I would help uh, my mom and her friends drag them down to the corner. They would tell me, run to the payphone, which was two blocks away, call 911, let them know what happened, hang up the phone and run back to the house. And I did all this at, you know, as a young girl by myself. So I think it definitely helped me grow up a lot faster than I should have. I was addicted to opiates, um, pill form and IV form through emergency rooms. In 2009, my drug use was a daily thing. I couldn't function without having the pills and or the IV use. I think at one point, I'm pretty sure I looked up to my parents, you know, and uh, just really wanted their attention. and. Um, and when I didn't get it, I mean, it was it was pretty lonely. I ended up just sitting in the corner of my room. So I had a uh, I have a best friend. Um, my mom and her mom were best friends before they actually had us. Uh, I remember one time when our parents were partying in the house, we ran away into our backyard. We took our sleeping bags. We said we were running away from home. We went into the backyard, deep into the bushes, because we had a lot of bushes towards the back of our backyard. And we stayed out there for I don't even know how long. And nobody even came to find us. So I don't even know if anybody ever really noticed. But we just sat there and, and hugged each other and cried. Um, there was a lot of concern with them being at their dad's house, and I wasn't clear enough to see that I was also an issue at the time. 
So I forged a court order and um, not allowing him visitation or contact and it ended up, I was charged with the crime, um, arrested and subsequently sent to prison. I never expected to go to jail or prison. I didn't have that background of feeling doomed from the get-go. It was not something that I had been around other than on the other side of it with people being arrested in, in my job capacity and seeing that I didn't have friends that went to jail, I didn't have family that went to jail. It was definitely the unknown to me. I did not ever think, for a lot of reasons, um, my background, working in law enforcement, not being a street drug user, aware of alcohol issues. I never, ever dreamed that I would have any addiction issues for myself. I was so all consumed by making sure I had enough medication to sustain myself. Ironically, I would think it was so I could be there for my kids and have enough energy for my kids and to be able to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, I could rationalize it all away myself. So my son, when I was in jail, um, it was Christmas time, and in a phone conversation, he said to me, Mom, he was crying, and he said, I would give up every one of my Christmas presents just to have you here for Christmas. I think that was telling of what matters, of what your kids really need. I had a lot of conversations with a lot of 19 through 24 year olds. They're in there for life, for life. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I am so lucky because maybe I did what she did, only I didn't get caught. My son, my 16 year old son, who was my oldest son, uh, picked me up from the bus when I got off the bus from prison, him and his best friend. And it was so funny because him and his best friend, they stood on, you know, one stood on each side of me and they said, you're not going nowhere. We're not, we're not leaving your side until you're somewhere safe, which is absolutely amazing because after my son paid for a hotel room and we woke up the next morning, he had a line, uh, he had Coke around his nose. Uh, I didn't see it at first. I went to go grab us some breakfast because I wanted to surprise him with some breakfast and it was still kind of dark, you know. But when I came back in and I turned the lights on, I saw the Coke and I said, I dropped everything out of my hands and I just started crying. I mean, I've been punched and stabbed and choked. I've never ever in my life had anything hit me so hard than that moment of looking at my own flesh and blood laying there um, doing the same thing that I, you know, I started doing, but, um, and so I promised him from that point on, I said, I promised him out loud, I promised myself and I promised God that that was it, that I was gonna make a fresh start and I was gonna give my son a mother to be proud of and to teach him that he doesn't need to live like that. I came out of prison extremely overweight with some serious psychological issues as well as my addiction and my thought was upon release was that I had to deal with the whole me. I had to go in and introduce myself to, to my daughter's um, second grade teacher and I remember um, trembling going in there and thinking, what does one say? Why have you not been here? And I went into her classroom and I think in 30 seconds blurted out a story that probably would have made most people's jaws drop. 
She said something to the effect of, it's really nice to meet you. We all have things in our lives that go on. I am not here to judge you, and I hope we get to spend a lot of time together. Um, I remember walking out of that classroom out to the car and crying for some time because I believe had that have gone any other way and I felt degraded or judged that it might have hindered my ability to hold my head high. I wouldn't say I met Karina while we were in custody. We weren't in the same dorm, so we didn't have any real interactions. But I believe there would have been church or groups that we might have attended and together. At the end, we were together at, at the, the end. At the end, very end, but right before you left right for prison. Right when I went to prison. Um, I remember when I first met her, I was just thinking, gosh, she's so tall <laughs> because I'm so short, you know. It's called Iron Sharpens Iron, um, and it's a support group that Service Connect offers. And we were clients while we were both clients there, um, I when I came home, she was already a part of the support group, but she was definitely um, a familiar face when I got there. So I think I kind of, you know, I try to cling on to her a little bit because I didn't really know too many people in San Mateo County. But I think that was our first time that we ever really and talked. I would say definitely a friendship evolved from there for sure. Nisi was someone who started Iron Sharpens Iron with us about the same time. Extremely dynamic woman, fighting addiction for sure. She was doing extremely well. Um, we were doing some outreach type things, speaking at schools. And then she was diagnosed with cancer that was really widespread and she declined extremely rapidly. She was amazing. amazing. She was amazing. She was an amazing woman. She was very outgoing, very caring, very loving, very passionate about helping the youth, very passionate about helping her peers. She was very funny. Um, and I think she was really dedicated to all the restorative justice that we were involved in. For me, it was devastating. We were getting on the elevator on our way to uh, MRT group, group, which is uh, Moral Recognitive Therapy. therapy. Um, and so we were on our way to that group and Nisi, she looked at me and she said, Karina, I think the Lord is calling me home. And I said, oh, don't say that to me. Um, and I said, no, he's not. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. And then a couple days later, actually, I think it was, she was in the hospital. And she had told me what the preliminary results were. And I remember telling her, hey, look, Preliminary is preliminary. If I listened to every preliminary result I ever got, I would have been in the ground, you know, 25 times over. Um, but, you know, we would go in there and we would read the Bible to her. Walked with her. We would walk her around. You know, she would have to walk around um, the floor that she was on um, at least once a day. We talked. We laughed. laughed um, cried. It, it was just really hard leaving my friend behind and knowing that, you know, she was getting worse and worse and worse. The last time we saw her, I think we both knew. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was... She was incoherent. It was... That was hard. It was really hard. Really hard. And it was pretty devastating to go through. It was my first loss after being out of custody. Remember, there would be a Wednesday afternoon, let's say at 3 o'clock, and i just get a text from Karina that would say, thinking of you or hope things are okay. And... I remember thinking, gosh, that's something I want to do for people too. 
because it was such a pick-me-up without it having to be some long drawn-out process it was hey someone's really concerned about me not about what I can give them or do for them or how I'm doing with my recovery it was just hey I'm thinking about you hope it's going well so I would say that was pivotal in our friendship for sure for me she asked me she goes you're scared aren't you boo she used to call me boo and I said yeah I'm scared and um, we both started crying and she just you know I got as close as I could to her she had a lot of um, IVs in her and stuff and I just like uh, laid down and hugged her for a little while and um, you know read her the Bible and then she she looked at me and she said don't be scared she goes the Lord is just calling me home and I'm gonna be watching down over you So anytime anybody that I know that goes that I really care about get really emotional, it really hurts. Um, but the difference between back then and now is now I know how to deal with it before I used to mask it with drugs or going out and doing criminal activity, um, hurting somebody else, hurting myself primarily. And that now I don't need to do that anymore because I have people like Carolyn in my life who I can talk to, who I can reach out to. The program that I work for is actually the program that I went through when I first came home from prison, Service Connect. Um, and it is one of the best programs out there. I mean, I never knew there were so many resources for somebody to grab a hold of. I mean, they definitely supplied me with um, everything that I needed to reestablish myself back into the community. Even though it was just a few things like emergency housing and, and a clothing voucher and a Safeway gift card, it was enough for me to get myself together. Like they laid the foundation down and I was able to build from that. So Service Connect um, is a division of the Human Services Agency of San Mateo County. We are given clients that are released in the county under the AB 109 program, and they get an early release. They come to us, and in one central location, we offer all the services that someone could need. We offer benefits, on-site counseling, assistance with housing. We have a contract with vocational rehabilitation services where they can start working downstairs in a warehouse for us. They get a case manager and we follow and help them all the way through their uh, reintegration. I'll help with anything from helping them get their driver's license back to getting their social security card, applying for housing assistance, doing their resumes, and just general support from someone who's been there and understands the struggles of reintegrating. If uh, my probation officer didn't tell me um, about this program, I would have just went back to the city where I'm from, which is San Francisco. I would have got back into the same old stuff that I was into before I got sent away, only because that was the only thing that I ever knew. So I never knew that there was support out there that offered, you know, offered somebody help or even just guidance to learn something new. It is key to my own recovery, what I do now. When I see people in those struggles, it reminds me, it, it's such a reciprocal process at this point. Sometimes I can't even believe they pay me to do this because they are saving my life at the same time, still day after day. For me, it's it's amazing because I, I see a face that I was locked up with. We were both in orange at the same time, so we both were going through the same thing. It's amazing to me, and it empowers me to see another woman who was in orange with me have her standing next to me in, in the same position as a peer mentor and going out and helping people, for me, that's very empowering and it's very inspirational. A 
lot of my time is spent with my kids. 99% of their time is with me. So when they spend some time with their dad, I need to take that period of time and do something for myself. What a, It might even just be a trip to Target by myself to go through the clearance aisles, which I enjoy doing. And that might seem trivial to some, but just that time of quietness for me when most of the rest of my life is emotionally charged, it can be key for me in maintaining my own mental health. I believe that my life is amazing right now. Um, I may not be where I wanna be, but I believe that I'm exactly where I need to be. And again, I'm an addict, I want, I want instant you know, gratification. But once I was able to realize that um, I was able to slow myself down and go, okay, well, look, I'm making slow progress. My oldest son, he tells me that he's really proud of all my accomplishments and he wants me to let go of all of my guilt because um, he was able to let go of all of his resentments. And he sees that the guilt holds me back sometimes. Definitely never stuck around for this long. It's been three years. So I'm hoping that they can trust me and, you know, if they do have those feelings, let them go because I'm not going anywhere now.